Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm very excited about today's show. We're going to explore how shared consumer experiences are impacting the future of business with Brian Solis, who's the author of a brand new book called What's the Future of Business? I'm also going to share a caller question about dealing with Facebook spam. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and address that question right now. Deep from within a remote jungle village, here's this week's social media question. Hi, Michael. My name is Daniel Glickman. I'm calling in from Powtoon.com. We're a startup that allows users to create short animated videos for their website and their social interactions. And I have a question about Facebook. We have a Facebook account which is active and growing fast. Uh, but we also have a little bit of spam issues. Uh, every now and then somebody posts something on our Facebook page which is uh, inappropriate. It's a spam um, post, of course. And we don't want to limit our users, but we also want to know how, is there a way to deal with this, to prevent it, uh, or do we just have to manually delete them each time as we do right now? I uh, really look forward to your answer and just love your podcasts. I'm a religious listener. Thanks. Hey, Daniel, thank you. That's that's a big question that I know a lot of people listening right now are dealing with, which is, you know, spam. And I hate to say it, but in any medium, you're going to get spam. And here's how we deal with them at Social Media Examiner. And I hope some people will, will gain some insight from this, especially you, Daniel. So first and foremost, what you want to do is go to your Facebook page and you want to go under, um, let's see here, under the edit page drop-down menu, there is an option that says use activity log. When you click on the activity log, this shows you in reverse chronological order all the comments that have been on your wall. And it doesn't matter where they put them, you'll get to see them all. And when you go there, you're going to likely find some spam, maybe in, even in some places that you didn't realize. So the best thing to do is when you find spam, rather than simply delete them, if you hover your mouse over what looks like a little pencil off to the right, you will see a bunch of options. One of them is to um, hide from page, one of them is to delete, and the other one is to report mark as spam. So <clears throat> I think the best option for you is actually not to delete it and not to hide from the page, but instead to report or mark it as spam. And when you select that option, what that will do is it will actually um, 
reported as spam so that Facebook knows that this person is doing spam. And if lots of people do this, then that will ultimately result in that person getting in trouble, so to speak, or limiting that person's ability to post on other people's pages. But it gets better. In addition to doing that, you should ban this person from your page. Do not hesitate to do this because people that are spammers are out to promote themselves and that's all they care about. When you select ban this person, what will end up happening is that person with that user ID will never be able to comment ever again on your page. And um, that's really the best course of action because if you delete it, well, they could come back and put it right back up. But if you actually ban that person, well, then you know that that likelihood of that person coming back is pretty much never. So that's how we do it, and that's how I recommend you do it. And I'd love for folks to go ahead and add their comments uh, to the speaker notes uh, page, and I'll tell you how to get to that a little bit later. So um, if you have a question that you want answered on a future episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast, it's super easy. You simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail. It'll prompt you to record your question right there on the screen, and we'll get notified. And if we like your question, uh, we may include it in a future episode. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. So with that, let's go ahead and transition to today's interview with Brian Solis. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Brian Solis. If you don't know who he is, he's a digital analyst at the Altimeter Group, and he's authored multiple books, including Engage and The End of Business as Usual. His latest book is called What's the Future of Business? Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, all right, Mike, how are you? Spectacular. Thanks for coming. So, hey, today you and I are going to explore where the business world is headed. And I know you've been given a lot of thought to this with your brand new book. So, uh, Brian, let me just start with this question. What prompted you to write a book called What's the Future of Business? <laughs> you know, the last book I wrote was called The End of Business as Usual. And kind of sitting back and thinking about what's next, you know, it's really, look, we're saying that business can no, no longer operate as it was because things are different. So then the natural progression would be, well, what we need a book that actually tells us what the future is and what we need to do about it. So um, at a very high level, can you share a little bit about what is coming? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the tagline of the book is changing the way businesses create experiences. 
And th- what I believe is in that the future of business marketing sales service, as customers become increasingly connected, be, as they become increasingly informed, you know, th- they're not necessarily relying on many things as traditional things like, I don't know, Google or websites or things of that nature that a traditional customer might use to make an f- informed decision. They're going to use networks. They're going to use friends. They're going to use apps. And essentially, when they ask a question or when they, be- when they begin a discovery process or when they're looking for help or direction, it's these shared experiences that come back in those moments that actually define what it is that they do next. And that's critical because businesses aren't necessarily designing their marketing, their sales, their service strategies around these moments. And I'm sure you'll get to this later in another question, but I'll just say at this point that what the book really explores are what do these four moments of truth, as they're called, look like and how do businesses need to to activate them? Well, let's go ahead. Why don't you pick one of those four moments and let's just kind of explore that a little bit. Yeah. All right. Well, the first, the, I'll kind of just walk at a high level the, the, what the four are. Okay. Uh, and I'll do it in sort of the chronological order of how they, they play out. Uh, it's not sort of how they were introduced, which I thought was always interesting. But this, the first one is the zero moment of truth. And this is something that Google introduced us to about about a year or two ago. Uh, and by the way, it's a free ebook you could download. It's a great ebook to read. Uh, I think it's zeromomentoftruth.com. And in that book, they sort of introduced that the customer, once there's a stimulus, once there's a spark, or once there's a, a need, they're going to essentially, what Google says, is Google it. And what they're challenging you to do is in that moment, what comes back when they get into the zero moment of truth. So, for example, if they type in a question or a series of keywords in Google, you know, what comes back? You're hoping it's sort of your website. You're probably making keyword or you know, SEM, SEO buys around that. But also, um, you know, think about it this way. In the zero moment of truth, if somebody says they go to a social network or they go to a review site or they go to an app and they say, you know, what should I do? Has anyone heard of? You know, that's also the zero moment of truth. And businesses aren't optimizing on the return. And on the return, there are shared experiences. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. In okay, a wait. Let me just pause you for a second just so that yeah. I can wrap my, my mind around the zero concept. What, what is the zero component here? That's what's confusing me a little bit. Uh, well, so the, the zero moment is always sort of defined as that, that critical moment, that critical instance, not just in sort of sales and marketing. Oh, like when you're counting down to zero to launch or whatever, right? Exactly. Gotcha. Okay, cool. What's the second thing you were going to talk about? Yeah, so then we move into what's called the first moment of truth, and that is um, a term that was introduced to us by Procter and Gamble. And the first moment of truth is when you're ready to make a purchase. You're affected by I don't, we could use a simple consumer good uh, exa- uh, example like uh, a box design or its position on a shelf, um, its position amongst competitors, how other competitors design against you, et cetera. It's sort of like that as you're about to make the decision. Let's just say you were bent on getting that particular product, but then you get there. And there's a lot of other things that might change your mind or might sway you in a different direction. And and Procter & Gamble calls this the first moment of truth. In fact, it's so important to Procter & Gamble that they literally have a department around the first moment of truth. Wow. The next one is called the second moment of truth. Okay, just 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 before yeah. you go on to the second, just so I understand. So the first moment of truth is kind of like when you walk into a store and you're thinking of buying something and you're seeing all the competing products on the shelf, right? And it's it's a question of whether you 
compare them at that moment? Is that kind of what it comes down to and decide to go with what you originally intended? Well, it could be like this. In the zero moment of truth, you did your research, you might have narrowed it down to one or two different products, and you go into the store to make your final decision, your final purchase. And in that moment, it's the box design. You know, is it appeasing to you? How does it feel? Um, you know, is it, does it look like what you thought it would be? Does it live up to sort of your initial expectations? And then you look over to your left and to your right and up and down. And you're like, oh, well, what's this? Or I didn't see this. Or I saw this in my research. This looks interesting too. So that first moment of truth is sort of that cloudy judgment period where you're going to make a decision, but you're still not 100% sure which way you're going to go. Gotcha. And then the second moment of truth? This is also a Procter & Gamble term, and this is when you essentially make the purchase and you take that product home or to work, wherever it is that you're going to use it, and it's sort of the experience that unfolds as you start to use it. Does uh-huh. it live up to what it had promised? Uh, or does it meet or exceed your expectations? Um, how do you feel about it? Uh, does it still deliver, you know, over time. That's that's really kind of what the second moment is about. It's a feeling, it's a sensation. It's a it's a it's a sentiment. And then what's the next one? So the next one has been sort of termed it goes by many names. Uh, and this has sort of been coming up in the era of social and mobile media. And that is one one name is the infinite moment of truth. Another is the third moment of truth. Uh, in the book, I decided to call it the ultimate moment of truth. Um, and that to me is because the ultimate moment of truth, the word ultimate really stands strong. It's It really is sort of that last thing that you do or feel and it it, it shapes what you do and say afterwards. So the ultimate moment of truth is essentially the shared experience. Mm-hmm. You're going to have an impression about it in the second moment of truth. The ultimate moment of truth is what do you say? Where do you say it? And then ultimately, how does it impact the next person who begins the journey? So essentially, let's just say you write a blog post about it, how much you love it, and then maybe you have to get it service, and now you hate it because the experience was so bad. You're documenting all of these things, and those things are going into blog posts, tweets, um, status updates, review sites. YouTube videos, right? Videos, absolutely. And they don't just disappear, right? They stay there, uh, and they form um, this sort of collective conscious, this index that when the next person starts their journey at the zero moment of truth, chances are that is what could come back that's going to influence or guide the next steps they take. So is your book focused on having more of these ultimate moments of truth? Is that the idea? Yeah, essentially it comes back to the tagline. Um, you know, if, if people are sharing experiences that they have with your business or your product or your service, then why wouldn't you intentionally design those experiences. And essentially, in much of the same way that Procter & Gamble's created a division around the first moment of truth, your business is going to have to have that type of person or people in each division that handles each moment of truth, right? And so that's discovery, that's evaluation, that's service, etc. So that you're, you're nurturing this ongoing relationship and they're sharing the experiences that you want them to have. So, Brian, I know that um, you've been studying the social landscape for a long time. Um, what's your opinion about the social, social media, social networking, whatever phrase you want to you wanna call it? How has this had an impact on, um, on where the future is going in the ultimate moment of truth? What's the, the connections, if you will? 
Yeah, well, I'm going to take a quick step back because I'm I'm pretty sure that by now, <laughs> maybe listeners are kind of like, what is what is Brian even saying? Is he speaking English? Um, you know, the, these these moments of truth are are there. You know, advertisers and marketers have long known about at least the, the, the first and second moment of truth. Google really made a, a tremendous push around the zero moment of truth. And so people are thinking in this way. You could apply it to the funnel. You could apply it to a dynamic journey. A lot of journey mapping is taking place now. But one thing I'd like to say about the book is that I typically take an ac- academic approach to writing. Um, I didn't do that this time. I, uh, I actually made the book an experience in, a, in of itself so that it could be a proof point to show you what I'm talking about. It's, it's, a, it's a square. It's four color. It's so visually rich. I, I worked with the guys at Mechanism. Uh, to, they did the Beyonce Super Bowl commercial um, to sort of redo or reimagine what a book experience could be because it is a complicated subject, but the way that the book sort of lets you go through that story, um, it changes everything. You actually really get it. You really see it. You can read it. You can feel it. You can, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and so it really simplifies a very complex subject uh, to the point where you actually know what to do by the time you're done with the book. So with that said, to come back to your question, you know, a lot of businesses today are using social media uh, in, in very experimental ways. Um, but they're still sort of, n- they're not necessarily defining what the experience is. They're still sort of triggering engagement. They're still trying to get views and impressions and clicks. Um, they're still trying to build up communities. Uh, I, in my research at Altimeter Group, uh, in fact, I have a report out with Charlene Lee about this. You know, we really look at a lot of social media strategies being disconnected from real-world business objectives, and that's, and that's kind of a problem. I mean, a lot of businesses are maturing over time to better align social with business objectives. But for the most part, they're still sort of acting as a marketing function. And to some extent, you know, we're starting to see some service functionality. And to some extent, we're starting to see some sales approaches so that we could see how well social generates leads or, or ultimate sales. So it's still experimental. But I think what I'm trying to introduce here with the book is this idea that, you know, if you take a step back and you realize that conversations are going to happen with or without you, if you could ultimately decide what people would think, experience, and share, then you're essentially now starting to get in front of those conversations. And I can tell you this, companies like Virgin America, uh, companies like Nordstrom, you know, these are intentional things that they do, um, how their representatives talk to people, how they design certain things to get you talking about what it is that they've gone to great lengths for you to notice, observe, and appreciate. Can you share a little bit about how one of those brands, what they're doing or any brand for that example, so people can kind of understand? Yeah, well, I'll talk about Virgin America because that one's public. Uh, I don't know how much of the Nordstrom experience is, is, is public, but I can say that Virgin um, for example, you'll never hear a flight attendant uh, slam an overhead bin. Uh, when you walk onto the plane, there's there's music. Whether you hate it or you like it, there's this, this sort of vibe. You know, they're creating this kind of atmosphere. There's ambient lighting. Yeah, the purple light. Yeah, the purple light. Um, the flight attendants are dressed in a, in a very particular way, and that fashion changes every so often so that you notice um, – how they look and how they present themselves. Uh, the red carpet at the ticket counter, the disco ball at the ticket counter, the music at the ticket counter. Um, all of these things, the website, uh, the mobile, 
Um, these are all things that were intentionally designed to not just optimize, you know, sort of your engagement, the transaction, but also to get you to feel something. Um, because when you get off that plane, they want you to say, oh, my God, I love this. I'm flying this airline all the time. Well, why are you flying that airline all the time? Oh, we had in-flight Wi-Fi. We had this in-flight entertainment system that was amazing. The purple light, the music. It's just all experiential. And to me, that's just the beginning. I actually think that experiences, um, especially since conversations are becoming sort of this, this, this fabric, this network, these shared experiences are, are influencing what ne- the next people do, decide what they think, what they do, et cetera. You know, I think that brands are going to be more intentional about what they want people to um, sort of encounter at each moment of truth. So, Brian, is this about creating an experience that people will organically and naturally want to take pictures of and tweet about and share on Facebook? Or is there actually a little more under the covers going on here where they're actually like kind of spurring a little bit uh, or encouraging people to actually actively you know, do something on social with the experience that they're having? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, you know, naturally it's, an, it's, it's, to some, this is a new concept to, to others. This is, this is a concept that they've been doing all along with, with other forms of media. But let me, let me kind of put it this way. I think that on the early side of things, we're going to see a lot of businesses introduce, you know, the Instagram moment. Um, you know, for example, the, the, Castillo de Amorosa in Napa has an Instagram tour. Um, Pac, uh, AT&T Park in, in San Francisco where the San Francisco Giants play, they have um, in, incredibly strong Wi-Fi and Instagrammable um, areas so that people are, are actively sharing their ballpark experience. And that's helped to, to become, I think, the most Instagrammed um, stadium in baseball. Um, so you start to see things like that to get people to share. Um, if If you can't just sort of rely on what the design is or what the experience is today. You have to sort of create these moments. What would somebody want to photograph and why? And why is it so amazing? Or what would somebody want to tweet? So you still, to a very low-level nature in that example, you still have to create something that people will want to then um, be part of. And you still have to productize it so people know that you're doing this, so you're calling it out to their attention. But over time, you know, you're going to see it affect everything. So the product the service, um, how you get the product, how you buy the product, how you return the product if you have to. Um, these are things that the experience in a much, much less tangible format are going to be designed by, you know, maybe it's marketers, um, maybe it's this role that's starting to come out, which people are calling it the, I don't know if it's, it's going to be a playable title, but the chief experience officer or huh. somebody who really responsible for defining what this is and then telling the rest of the organization, well, this is what it looks like in your department. This is what it looks like in your marketing and sales strategies, et cetera. This kind of reminds me a little bit about, you know, if anybody's listening has ever been to Disneyland or Disney World, you know, a few years ago, they would have these signs that said Kodak moments, right? And it would be placed in a strategic location in the park that had a, a beautiful visual backdrop on it. And obviously it was sponsored by Kodak. But I think that's kind of what you're talking about, creating moments that are now Instagram moments instead of Kodak moments, right? Or Facebook moments or whatever you want to call it, right? Absolutely. And in fact, I have uh, in the trailer for the book, I, I, I talk about this idea, you know, like you remember the Kodak moment. Well, for, for many consumers, it's now the Instagram moment or the Snapchat moment. But the, the thing, though, is that that was a very clever sponsorship. But I like the track that you're on. And when we're, we're talking essentially about experiential design. Right. Disney is probably 
you know, one of the best examples that still runs today as it did then in terms of creating experiences behind the scenes so that it's transparent um, from everything to how you see the characters coming in and out of the park. I mean, you never see who they are. You never see them leave or, you know, you, they just kind of vanish. You don't see Snow White having a smoke break. You know, <laughs> the, the, everything about it is sort of run out of this. It's been intentionally designed. Everything about it is to make you feel or see or do something. Um, if there's a if there's a crisis in the park, there's this whole team that's ready to just completely surround it, so you don't even have to see it. Um, it's 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 very intentional, and therefore, when you go to Disneyland. They're hoping that these intentional experiences that you have, the things that you see, the things that you do, are what you tell everybody. And in a social and a connected world, what you see and do and what you tell people becomes the very thing that influences people who are looking for information. It's pretty, it's pretty phenomenal to think how far ahead of, ahead of their time Disney has been, right? <laughs> and how, how we really can look to that. Hey, um... You talk about Generation C in your book. Can you explain who that is exactly? Yeah, you know, I have studied so much about um, the different generations, you know, from Gen X to, to matures and boomers to um, millennials and uh, Gen Z behind them. Uh, and the one thing I've noticed is that, especially when you get to Gen Y and, and, and Gen Z, you start to notice this, this digital first mentality, right? You and I, we've changed channels in our day. You know, we had remote controls that at one point just had one button for up and down. And we used one- to have to walk up to the TV and turn a knob. <laughs> exactly. And so now, um, you know, we're, we're sort of having to learn all of this stuff with, with that as our experiences, right? And so in many ways, when we're making decisions, we have a lot of this life experience that brings us from analog to digital. With, with, with these different generations, they're digital first. So the way they approach something is different than the way that we would intuitively do something. And, that's, and the, the point is this, is that once you start to look at their behavior and you, then you start to see someone who picks up an iPad, you say, who's our age? Or, or older, um, and then they pick up a smartphone, and then they have an Apple TV or um, you know, a, a Google Chromebook, and they just start living this digital lifestyle. Uh, they start to mimic the behaviors of, of Gen, well, at least been able to trace it to Gen Y. I haven't been able to fully link it all the way to Gen Z yet, but you know, data shows that behaviors start to look similar in the decision-making process. So when I realized that, I thought, wow, you know, a lot of these brands are hiring, you know, someone to be in charge of millennial marketing. Um, but really what we need to be thinking about is what about millennials and what about people who live the digital lifestyle that, you know, what is it that we really le- need to learn about? Because I think what ends up happening is that if somebody in their 30s is exhibiting the same behavior as someone in their 40s and exhibiting the same behavior as someone in their 20s when they're trying to make a decision about what to buy, then you can't necessarily segment your marketing by generation. You have to segment it by behavior. And that becomes this idea of psychographics um, instead of demographics. And so what I'm saying is that people who live this incredibly connected lifestyle become one bigger group than just the age group. They become a group affiliated by common interests and behavior. And that's generation C, where the C stands for connected. And it comprises of multiple spans of traditional generations. How big do you think this group is? It's, this group is the biggest demographic um, 
in my opinion, that represents the future of, of everything. So, for example, um, I know that was vague, but it's, yeah. it's vague. And depending on what industry you're in, let's say you're in consumer electronics, it's huge. If you're in, um, I don't know, uh, B2B? Pay, pay purchasing, <laughs> I don't know that it's that big yet, but it's growing. And I will say this, though. Of all of the generations, um, Generation C is becoming, uh, to me, the most significant because it, it spans multiple age groups and people aren't necessarily putting their iPads down. They're buying the next big thing. They're, they're buying the next technology. And the more, you know, the more Fitbits they start to wear or the Nike fuel bands or you know, whatever's next, the more of these things that they start to buy, it really starts to affect and, and, and essentially permeate their lifestyle where digital and human nature become one. And it only becomes more pervasive. Well, I have my Fitbit on right now. <laughs> so I guess I'm in Gen C. Um, how do we target Gen C or what do we need to know about Gen C as a marketer? Well, you know, earlier in the conversation when I threw out that buzzword of journey mapping, you know, journey mapping is something that is is, is very, I don't want to say it's old school, but it's, it's very um, proven. Uh, as a process to and essentially what you're doing there is is walking a day in the life of the customers you're trying to reach and sell to and and cultivate relationships with and journey mapping is probably much more important than it's ever been because you're able to sort of track down all the different apps all the different networks all the different behaviors you know all the all of the moments of truth if you will um, and and what it is that you should do in terms of those presences and what kinds of experiences um, are being shared today and what kind of experiences do you want to be shared because what ends up happening is once you once you journey map you'll find that you still have your traditional customers that you'll need to reach a certain way but you'll you'll really start to see who your connected customers are and you'll realize that the way you're trying to hit everybody isn't necessarily working in fact in many ways you're probably missing the mark with your your connected customer okay Brian this is my last question and I want to I want to respect your time um, beyond getting your book which I strongly recommend everybody pick up and it is a really unique book. Um, especially the way that the whole thing's been designed. What do you think would be a couple of action steps that businesses who are listening right now need to uh, take in order to prepare for these coming changes that you write about in your book? Yeah, you know, so first I would just take a deep breath. Um, you know, there is a lot of data and a lot of reports that are coming out that are going to show that the way businesses are using technology is not the way that your customers want you to use new technology. It's not the way that they want to be engaged. And, and, and when I say there's a, a bunch of reports coming, I mean there's going to be a, a whole tsunami of this data that shows you that we're doing it wrong and that we need to think a little bit differently. So know that that's coming. And know that this book isn't really trying to slap a new idea on you. It's, 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 uh, my, my little funny slogan is that what's the future of business isn't a question. It's actually the answer. Because once you start seeing more and more data like this, you're going to have to do, you have to do something about it. So what I would highly suggest is that you take your, your social media team and you point them at listening, not just to the conversations and not just what's negative and what's positive or your share of voice. I mean, look at. What are the experiences that people are sharing about you and your competitors? Uh, and sort of group that. Find the patterns in there. What Are they loving it? Are they hating it? Where are things breaking down? Are they sort of indifferent? You know, and really start to think about what that would look like in, in your – however it is that you map your funnel or your journey today. And see – where those things are happening, why they're happening, and what it is that you would do to change that um, just at a high level. 
Because what you might find, and this is what I always find, is that what you think people are sharing and doing um, and where they're doing it is often not at all uh, what it is that's driving your strategy today. And it's at least starts, at least starts there because the, I think the greatest gift you get from that is this idea of insight and also empathy because then you start to feel what it is people are feeling. Brian, thank you so much for um, letting me tap your mind and pull out some really cool thoughts. If people want to get more insight from you and or your latest book, do you have a place that you want to send them to? Absolutely. I, I would love it if they would go to, um, and this is going to sound funny, but what's the future of business comes down to WTF. And so the URL is WTFbusiness.com. Or, you know, you could find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or iTunes, uh, wherever it is that, that you like. And I do, uh, do want to hear from you. So if you pick up this book, um, you read this book, you have questions, let me know. You'll see that by the time you finish the book, there's a bonus chapter that you could download. Um, Really, uh, really wrote it to help you get through what's coming. All right, folks. Well, you heard it from Brian. Make sure to get his book. I know from firsthand experience, his stuff is outstanding. He's always on the edge. And if you want to be ready for what's coming for the tsunami, you got to get a copy of his book. Brian, really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the show today. Well, it is always an honor. So thank you so much. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. Clearly, the world of business is changing directly as a result of shared connections and social media. Uh, I hope you take that to heart and start thinking about how it might impact your business. If you want to get any of the links we talked about in today's episode, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 34. Also, uh, if you enjoyed this show and maybe you've been listening to some of our other podcasts, uh, we'd love it if you help spread the word. The easiest way to do that is to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. That will pre-populate a tweet into your Twitter stream, helping to get the word out. This does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm so grateful that you join me every week. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. Uh, if you like the show, you could also do me a huge favor by giving us a rating and review on iTunes. Socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes will take you right there so you can do that. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.